Hey guys, we are here. Slinging Stones podcast brought to you by The Thrive Ministry. We're just so excited to be here. Luke's not here, but <clears throat> I do have someone here that is extra special, especially to what he's doing for the kingdom, what he's doing for just the God work creating Christ-centered men across this country right now, and just truly thankful, truly blessed to have him with us. Um, and that's Mr. Rick Burgess with The Man Church. Rick, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. What an honor to be on. And like I say, I hate that uh, Luke couldn't join us. Uh, but uh, if, if for no other reason, I mean, you told me he claimed uh, that back when we had Rick and Bubba at the restaurant, that he once uh, took and accomplished, and he said he was the only person to do it, uh, the Greg Burgess Challenge, which was our largest hamburger, that he ate it not once but twice. And all I could think of is if he had come more often, we may still be in business. Absolutely. Probably so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, so, you know, brought, we, we, we reached out and wanted to get you on here, not just so much for, you know, what you do with Rick and Bubba and all that, but mainly what you're doing with the man church and just evangelism, you know, in itself, you just, you have such a great thing going and it, it has just grown exponentially over since, you know, since what it got started right around COVID and it's just grown since, right? Yeah. You know, God so many times has called, uh, people and, and there's always that refinement, you know, where, where God, you know, says like Peter talks about in first Peter chapter one, six and seven, even though he's mainly talking about the persecution of the church when he says, you know, in this you rejoice though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials to test the genuineness of your faith. And I remember not wanting, I mean, I, I'm just being completely transparent. I really had a much easier life. Of course, that's not what we're called to when I would just go and speak at men's conferences or men's event uh, events, upset everybody, then leave. Uh, and, and God strongly began to convict me that, uh, that, that I should be involved in the men's ministry of my local church. Uh, and that means getting your hands dirty, and that means discipling men, and, um, and which is much harder to do, and 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 it's and it's difficult. And and I remember sitting uh, where my wife and I pray over, you know, our families, and we pray over God's call on our life. And you know, she does um, even while you and I are recording this podcast, she's speaking to hundreds of women at, at an event. We do marriage conferences together, and then of course I do men's ministry all under, you know, Burgess Ministries, which we feel like God's called us to, to those three things. And we also teach uh, a, a group at our a local church uh, and with another couple. But but so I didn't want to do that. And I was sitting in those chairs and she came in and she said, what are you troubled about? I said, well, God's called me to something I don't want to do. And then, of course, she, like wives do, uh, to help us as our, our perfect helper, she says, well, I recall back when, you know, I had to write the book I didn't want to write, mm. you know, about suffering. She said, in five years, I grinded through that. And every time I'd come to you and say I couldn't do it, you asked me if God called me to it. And then, of course, I would reply yes. And you said, if God called me to something, then I just have to do it. And she said, I guess I'll give you the same advice. And I was like, I, I, I don't know who told you that, Sherry, but no, I couldn't couldn't get around it. And so... um the thing that I had figured that you guys have figured and, and the church needs to figure is if we're going to, I never understood why I was always going to church on Father's Day and the pastor would get up uh, at the local church and he would say the truth. The Barner research has come back and, you know, all this and, you know, throughout Scripture, God has called men to lead their homes spiritually. There's a headship that God has given the man. Men and women are equal, uh, but they're not the same. And there's a headship. Uh, that's been given to the man. And, and uh, you know, uh, if a man uh, becomes a devout follower of Christ, there's no greater influence in the home, in the church, and in society. Uh, you know, research after research after research has shown us this. And then I noticed that we would talk about that on Father's Day and then never mention it again, nor did the church seem really serious about reaching and discipling the men of the church. There was no strategy. Most men's ministries are non-existent. Uh, or even if they exist, they're poorly done. Uh, they're they're barely funded, uh, and um, so I went to the pastor, and I wasn't the first one. And I respect what he said, 
when I brought up, you know, do we believe what we preach on Father's Day? He said, of course we do. And I said, well, the men's ministry doesn't seem to be a priority here at all. And he said, do you think you're the first person to ever say that? And I said, probably not. And he said, so I'm going to ask you what I ask all the others that never came back. What are you going to do to, to help us with it? Uh, and I thought, okay, that that's a fair statement. And so I began to, he said, so you can be the layperson in charge of men's ministry. Uh, there's another guy that, that has said something similar. Uh, I went to find him, and he said he'd been praying that I would find him. Uh, and we began to develop a strategy at our local church uh, from Scripture. And, and we discovered that um, uh, in Deuteronomy 16, 16, uh, and uh, in Exodus 34, 23, we see that God said to Moses three times a year, bring me the men. So we knew there was precedent that God does pull the men out to, you know, away from the rest of the, the, the family and the rest of the church and says, I want to speak to you guys. And then I expect you because of the headship I've given you to go back and then implement what I say. So we thought, all right, that, there, there's a precedent. Well, we also I began to research and talk to uh, Ken Harrison, who started Promise Keepers back up again. I said, so tell me what happened with Promise Keepers. He said, well, uh, the thing that Promise Keepers never had, uh, we put together some of the biggest events that men's ministry has ever known, and there certainly was a movement and a men's revival. And he said, but we never could accomplish discipleship. He said, we thought the church would disciple the men if we gave them an encounter with God in a massive worship service, and if they cried out and repented and wanted to follow Jesus, that uh, once they were justified, we would then send them back into the church where the church would disciple them through their sanctification. And here was this quote, we grossly miscalculated that. Mm. And so what I, what I noticed is that we had a lot of high challenge in men's ministry. I love doing conferences. Uh, I'm going to continue to do conferences. We'll talk about one if, we, if time allows. We'll talk about the one that we just had, uh, you know, in, in February. Uh, but he said, that, but, but what I noticed studying how men operate is if all you have is high challenge, and that's it. And men's ministry has done a pretty good job of that, not within the church, but at, at events. Um, so you get you get high challenge, that's fine. But if you don't also follow that up with high equipping or discipleship, all you end up with are frustrated spiritual infants. Mm. And so um, I, I likened it like if what if every Father's Day or every event I went to, everybody kept telling me that I should be the mechanic of my home. I'm terrible with cars. What if they produce scripture? It says God has clearly called you to be the mechanic of your home. Every man in here should be their house's mechanic. And I would eventually, I think, cry out, is anybody going to show me how to be a mechanic? Mm. So what I realized is I'm not going to repeat the same mistakes of the past. And this is mainly in the Western church where we have grotesquely somehow trained people that the way you reach a man is through his children and his wife. I don't know who came up with that. Uh, you, 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 you reach the family through the children's ministry. No, you do not. Do you need a children's ministry? Yes. Do you need a women's ministry? Yes. Do you need a youth ministry? Of course you do. But if you are not devoted to men's ministry and you're not reaching and discipling the men, he will crush all these other things you're trying to do. A man, unfortunately, is perfectly okay with his wife and children going to church, and he won't go. Absolutely. And if he does go, he hangs around in the background because he says, nothing here speaks to me. This whole thing seems to be designed for women and children, and we're not speaking to men the way God made them. So I realized pretty quick when we started implementing the strategy that one piece that was missing was curriculum. Because even when I knew that we needed to do high challenge in the man church services, and then we would put them into small group Bible studies for the discipleship, it didn't take long to those those leaders of the small groups kept coming back every 10 weeks and they would say, what am I teaching next? And only a handful of them could expository teach. Mm. So most of them weren't comfortable with that. Well, there's, I mean, there's been a lot of books written by great men of God, but there's no men's curriculum that we could find anywhere. So I thought, well, if we have curriculum for children and we have curriculum for the youth and we have curriculum for adult co-ed classes, and there's curriculum everywhere for women's ministry, where's the curriculum for men's ministry, which, by the way, we've declared is, is the most influential 
force in the church, which I find I found that to be hilarious and crazy inconsistent. So we said, well, let's create curriculum. Uh, and so in March 1 of 2020, <laughs> we started the manchurch.com, which is a, a hub for men's ministry. We now have three curriculum. Our fourth is coming out this spring. I don't know when this is going to air. It may be out by the time it airs, but it comes out in April uh, this year. So we have four 40-week curriculum that are designed for men to facilitate small groups. It has a 12 to 15-minute video with me setting up each session. And then they have a study guide where the men, the facilitator leads the, the group through the study guide. And uh, so we launch it with only our, our first curriculum, which is the pursuit of Christ-centered masculinity. Mm -hmm. We launch our curriculums ready, our strategies ready, and a worldwide pandemic hits. <laughs> and that was that moment where God said to us, so do you, are you still with me? Are you going to continue with this, even though it looks impossible? And we were like, yes, Lord, we know you called us to this. We just don't know how to do it now. Well, then technology with Zoom began to develop, and we and it forced us to develop how you could do it on Zoom without the men in the room, because at that time we were believing all the things we now know that weren't true about COVID. But then we didn't know, uh, you know, and the churches shut down and all that. And so we had to grind through uh, you know, that first year with no one interested. I think we had maybe three churches. Mm. Well, as you and I are having this interview now, as I said, we've gone from one to four curriculum. Uh, we now have over 600 churches. They're implementing the strategy, and that's growing by the day. Amen. Um, and um, and, and the, the fruit that we are getting from around the country is that this strategy that comes out of scripture is working and the biggest fans of it are women in the church that are saying they no longer have to be the spiritual leaders of their home. And they said that their husbands are now in scripture more than they've ever been. So God is really honoring it. And we're still really, if you think about it, very, very young. And it's, you know, I've gone through, I've got all three of them sitting here on my bookshelf and I've gone through them with different men's groups and all that. And, and they truly are, they're, they're encouraging, they're challenging. They, they, they kind of dive into some of the tough questions where guys don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to be held accountable. They don't even want to have accountability right. partners. Um, you know, talking about the curriculums and talking about man church. So, you know, you talked about, you know, your local church where you were when this when when you kind of dove into the men's ministry side of it. I actually know the guy that you dove in with, and I know the church because I kind of got a chance to see it firsthand uh, as some sure, of y'all's yeah. events were going on. And, you know, I'm just I'm curious. So, you know, when did when did you feel that God was calling you to take that next step, to take that step and take what you had built on the local level and take it into what is now man church. Well, it, it was interesting. Um, you know, I started, you know, when we didn't have curriculum yet, we all would just try to find what we wanted to teach as individual teachers. And I became one of the teachers and I started doing a Wednesday Bible study at work. And, and it's still going to this day uh, in the Rick and Bubba studio. And that was before we knew how to record it. It was before we could stream it on YouTube and all that, but you can't, we can now, and I, I'm doing, you know, books of the Bible now, but, but when, um, one of the guys that was on our leadership team at, at our local church, he came to me one day and he said, first of all, before I say this, he said, I don't want you to think I'm one of these people that has to have signs and wonders and all that. He said, I'm actually not that way. And he said, and this really has never happened to me. And he said, I sleep like a baby every night. I don't have sleep problems that a lot of men have. And he said, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and he said, I was, I had a very vivid dream that I was supposed to come and tell you that this, this strategy that we're developing here at the church, that you're supposed to take it nationwide. Mm. And at that time, I was like, okay, we don't really have a curriculum yet. Uh, we just have a strategy. And he said... I don't know what the timeline is on that, but, but, you know, this thing's really working at our church. It's transforming our men's ministry. And obviously, you know, you, you need to start figuring it out. So, 
you know, the guy that you know, Brent Jones, that was working with me at the local church, we didn't have curriculum. We didn't have any, we didn't have a website. We didn't have anything set up. So you were probably one of the ones. We just started sending an email that says, well, here's what we do. <laughs> and uh, and so uh, that started. And then once we got the first curriculum, uh, and I'm not talking about the 40-day devotionals. Those those 40-day devotionals are good, and they're good for individual men, you know, like with their sons. We have a student version, an adult version. But each of those 40-day devotionals turned into 40-week curriculum, which features the video component and the study guide where men can facilitate, uh, you know, a, a study. And it's a much deeper dive than just the 40-day devotionals. Um uh, even though those are those are good, they're better than nothing. But the forty-week curriculum is a much deeper dive. Um, and then we—that's—that's uh, that's what it was. So in twenty twenty, March one, uh, we we put together the website, put together our first curriculum, had the same strategy that we worked at the local church, uh, and we kind of customized it, took out things that maybe didn't work that well, and kind of simplified it. Uh, and uh, and really, we followed the um, the lead of God on that. Absolutely. Amen. Um, well, let's, we're talking about curriculum. We're talking about devotionals. You know, I, I think it's really cool. Um, you've came out, you've just released a devotional, a 31 day devotional by yourself. Um, and yes. it's, and it's called transformed. It's embracing the death of self and the power of God. Now I've got to ask is, is this men's or men's to women or to teens? Or is this to all who, who is, who are you focusing on when you wrote this devotional? Well, anything that we put at the com is first and foremost going to be focused on men. Uh, you know, our, the slogan that God gave us uh, was disciple men change everything. Mm. And, uh, but I will say this one, unlike the others, really would apply to any person who desires to grow man or woman. Um, I don't, I think it's a little heady for children, uh, but I definitely think that young adults could, uh, could take it on. And, and this was, you know, I, I'm the guy that does the videos. I'm the guy that goes and speak Andy blanks and, you know, uh, 10 other men, you know, they write the study guides uh, they, I've contributed to the 40-day devotionals, but I've never, I was never the main writer because I'm not very gifted at writing. And my wife is a very gifted writer. Andy Blanks on our team is a very gifted writer. And he just came to me and he said, I just really feel that at this stage and in, in how you've been growing, you know, and learning and, and you teaching these Bible studies every Wednesday and your expository teaching now, I think you need to write something yourself. And I was like, I want no part of that. And he said, just really pray about it. And he said, you know, you, you go out and speak. There's no telling how many sermons, you know, God has helped you write. Just take that. And he said, you think about what, if you were going to put out a devotional, what, what would it be on? So I really started praying about that. And I started thinking, Andy, about my own testimony. Mm. And I think this happens a lot, especially where you and I live where people are sold a version of Christianity that, that's not really correct. It's nominal Christianity. And, you know, looking at the, the, the New Testament, you see the word Christian is only used three times. Yes. Uh, twice it's derogatory. And then Peter says this derogatory statement they're saying about all of us, let's embrace it as a bad of honor. So don't hear me saying that using the word Christian is wrong. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying, and Dallas Willard talked about this in the spirit of the disciplines, he made the point, which was brilliant and correct. He said the word disciple appears over 200 times in the New Testament. And he says what, what you see in the New Testament is this embracing of the word Christian. The people who were embracing it were already disciples. Mm. And he said no one was called a Christian that wasn't already a disciple, but the Western church, if you come forward and say, I, I, I you know, I, I want to, I want to accept Jesus or I, even if you have you know truly repented and you've left faith in yourself and placed your faith in Christ and you, you have now come, come under his authority. 
uh, we'll call you a Christian, and you haven't shown us one ounce of fruit that proves you're a disciple. Mm. And uh, so we're we're handing a version of Christianity to people that that isn't transformative. And uh, and and that's the reason why we see so many confusing people. You know, we try to come up with words like carnal Christian or backslidden or you know, I'm gonna rededicate my life. Mm. And and really, if you think about the power of Jesus, Scripture screams that if you haven't been transformed by Jesus, then there's something wrong with your relationship with him because he absolutely has the power to transform all that he redeems. So it's not because of his inability to do it. So as I begin to study scripture, I realize scripture talks about this a lot and that Jesus also was counterculture because he says what our culture does not say. Our culture says worship self. Jesus says deny yourself. And the Greek there in Luke nine twenty three, of course, it's, it's mentioned again in, um, uh, I think, Luke. No, I said Luke. Uh, Luke nine twenty three. Maybe it's mentioned again in Matthew when he gives this speech where he says, "Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me." Well, in Luke nine twenty three, that that Greek word right there doesn't mean become a better version of yourself, which we you know you can see. I'm just going to do better. No, it means you don't exist anymore. You're mm. dead. Yeah. The cross pick up is is your dead. So that's why I said, well, that's what I'm going to write about. I'm going to go find 31 of the most convicting verses that scream transformation. And I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, kind of encourage and challenge all of us who are willing to go through 31 days of these scriptures. And then I do the commentary in there and tell part of my testimony and all that throughout it. My journey of going from nominal Christianity or cultural Christianity to a true transformative uh, uh, faith in Christ that, uh, that I continue to be sanctified, and I've never been the same since I truly understood the death of self and what repentance truly is. Uh, and it is not a casual change. Mm. Uh, it, the scriptures say we should be completely transformed by God's seed coming in, into our dead spirit and making us alive. And we walk through 31 of those verses in the Bible. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it, you know, it's funny because, you know, I heard a, 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 a talk this weekend, and it was, um, you know, the question was asked: Is your testimony different from a month ago, a year ago, right. ten years ago? And you know, if your testimony's not changing, then that sanctification's not happening. Um, right. I mean, I do. I still struggle with. With, with that, my sin nature, I do. Do I still struggle with the sins I struggled with uh, 25 years ago? No, I don't. Mm. Not not because of my new commitment to self-control and better behavior, but because of the sanctification that is promised uh, by, by true redemption. Absolutely. Well, you know, and and I, I always, Luke makes fun of me in a very bad way about my amount of books and what I read. <laughs> he, he, uh, yeah. he says, he says my, my room smells of leather bound books. Um, but you know, in, in men, men see, unfortunately nowadays, and, and it's been this way for a while. Men see Christian being a Christian as almost a, a feminine hit on them. It like masculinity yeah. takes a massive hit. You have to demasculinize yourself. And that, that's what bothers me when, you know, you try to, you know, you try to, you know, evangelize or got or take, have a gospel centered conversation or, or become a disciple maker. Um, you know, guys are so put off because they're, Hey, I don't want to do that because that means I gotta be less of a man. Um, and that's what I really loved about the, how to be a man series was just reading that, you know, we, as y'all said, in the, as y'all said in those devotionals you put men on we put these men in the bible on a pedestal and we put them above us but really they're just like us they make the same mistakes they make the same issues and they can went through the same problems that we have um you know they go through loss they go through addictions they go through you know lust issues i mean they go through all these issues and that doesn't mean they're on a pedestal that means they're right there with us and yet they were faithful you know, a lot of them were faithful even after their mistakes. They know they, 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 they were turned back towards God. Yeah. 
it, it's it, it is, and I think what men do, but it's only in their spiritual life. And I was guilty of this. Everything I say, I was guilty of. I'm embarrassed to say that was true. But it's like men demand excellence out of everything except their spiritual life. Mm. When it comes to their spiritual life, they don't want to be uh, compared to devout men of the Bible. They want to be compared to the men when they were making all the mistakes. And one mistake we make is let's take somebody like Peter. You know, men love to flock to Peter, but they never flock to Peter after Pentecost. They always flocked to Peter before Pentecost when he didn't get everything right. He was always throwing out bold statements and— you know, he denied Jesus and he abandoned Jesus and all this. But we, we failed to mention that was before he received the power of the Holy Spirit. After the resurrection and after Jesus reconciled himself to Peter and Peter received the Holy Spirit, he never denied Jesus again. And he was willing to die rather than to renounce him again. And, and, and what we do is that like that Peter doesn't exist. And we also conveniently forget that that is the standard now for the church because the men of the church are on the other side of Pentecost. And let me tell you something, that standard is a lot higher. And you would think men would embrace that, but they don't because they are either grace abusers, they are they still love sin more than they love Jesus, and they know to deny their self and pick up their cross is going to cost them that sin that they love. I went through all this, so I'm talking about myself. And, and But I'm going to tell you something. Once I was truly redeemed and began to be sanctified, Jesus was so much better than my sin. I feel like an idiot that I ever thought otherwise. And I'm like you. I believe if we told men the truth, the way God made us, that here's what Jesus said about it, men. He actually said that if you and I choose to be his disciple, that most of us are not man enough to do it. He said only a few do it, and they enter by a narrow gate, and that way is hard, and most of them can't hack it. Mm-hmm. And if we told men that, you know, the Marines, they said the few, the proud, the Marines, and men just go, oh, that's great, that's great. But let me tell you what Jesus said, the few, the humble, my disciples. He also said few. And uh, if we would teach that, I think men respond to it. They certainly are wherever we go. Yeah, I, I tell guys all the time, you know, when we're talking, you know, quit scheduling Jesus around your sin. You know, we're just, I mean, it's just, we sit there and we just say, oh, well, my Bible, you know, I brought it to church on Sunday. Give me a point for that. And so it's a box checking, you know, competition at that point. Um, you know, when, when you go, when you, when you go to these events and, and you go to the speaking, you know, like you did at our, at, at our church, you know, you sat there yeah. and you talked and you prayed and you talked to each and every individual, you know, sure. so what is some encouragement or some words you would have for those guys? Cause a lot of these guys, they hear a great sermon, they hear a great yeah. message preached and it's a spiritual mountaintop experience. It's this thing where yeah. he really spoke to me, but then they wake up the next morning and it, it, it's almost like, it never happened, you know, and a lot of the prayers that, you know, when I pray, I'm like, God, just give me the, give me the strength to be looking up when I'm dragging my belly on the Valley floor. And, you know, go ahead. I'm sorry. You have to, yeah, you have to, have to, have to, have to, you have to make the, 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 if you've, if you've just been redeemed and you've heard a message like what happened with Peter at Pentecost, it said their hearts, Pierce and they cried out to Peter, what are we supposed to do? And he said, repent. He didn't hesitate. You turn to 180 from your sin and you turn to Christ and then you come forward and you be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The next thing that you have to do if you've had that, that moment in your life, you have to, have to, have to, not attend church, you know, like if it, on days that it doesn't rain, you have to immerse yourself in the church you have to immerse yourself in a small group Bible study. If you're married, you and your wife need to get in one. You need to get involved in the church. And then if you can, we hope you can, find another uh, a church that has a strong men's ministry. Hopefully they're doing uh, our curriculum or, or some type of curriculum that is designed for men. And you immerse yourself in that. you got to grow up spiritually. And I promise you, I'll... I never studied. I never liked to read. I never liked to do anything. And you've heard me talk about this, Andy, 
but I came under the, the conviction that I was an expert on hunting. I was an expert on fishing. I was an expert on football. I was an expert on how my company makes a profit. So it wasn't that I didn't have the ability to learn because I found a way to learn things that I deemed of value or that I loved. And the reason why I didn't know scripture is because I didn't deem it a value and I didn't love it. It wasn't because I don't like to study and didn't like school. And so now I, I have tasted of scripture, as scripture said, taste of the Lord and he is good. And now I honestly can't survive without it. I, I'm drawn to it. I literally, before I got on this podcast with you, I looked in here in my office and I began to weep and had tears swell up in my eyes because there's stacks and stacks of notebooks where I have journaled and written and done Bible studies and written Bible studies. And I said to myself, this is supernatural. I don't know how this happened any other way than you have given me this desire. So you, you can't just, we would never take a baby and walk off and leave it out in the middle of a field with nothing to eat. We would start it on milk and work its way to meat. And we have to do that with the newly redeemed. Yeah. I, Amen. And, and, you know, I love, you know, C.S. Lewis when he put it, you know, a, you know, a car is made to run on petroleum, you know, and, it, and, yeah. it, and we don't run properly on anything else. And God designed us, the human machine, on him, on himself, on God. And, you know, yes. if we're not going to that, we, our fuel is burning. We're, 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 we're burning oil. We're, we're, we're dragging pistons down. And, you know, I, I love, you know, the way C.S. Lewis puts it, cause it's almost like a punch in the face and he's not even going to hand you a napkin for the yeah. bloody nose. So, right. you know, when, you know, when you, when you had, you know, Bronner, the, the passing of your son happened, you know, that, that was, I know that that had to be, that, that was a, a great push you know, but, you know, I've heard you on, I've heard you speak on the radio. I've seen the, you know, the YouTube or the memorial service, you know, but for some people that may not know, how did that passing of your son draw you closer to the Lord? Well, the, the thing that it did, you know, when it comes to pain and suffering, and like I said, my wife wrote that book, uh, it's available everywhere. And there's people, I mean, I got emails last week of how, God's used it to help people. It's called Bronner, A Journey to Understand. And she took five years to go through Scripture and say, what does Scripture say about this? And she found it says quite a bit. God's never been silent on suffering. I gave you a verse a minute ago out of First Peter. You know, God's never been silent on this. And one of the things it is is a test of the genuineness of your faith. Refinement of, you know, suffering, as James says, produces steadfastness. But what it did for me to get real specific is... It forced me, uh, uh, nine years before that, one of my other sons nearly died at, at childbirth, and he and Sherry both. And I remember I'd only been following Christ for three years at that point, and Sherry was the spiritual leader of the home. I had not started taking sanctification serious. I thought, well, I'm not going to hell. That's good enough, and I'm going to church every Sunday, and I'm you know, getting involved in the church, and that's certainly good. Uh, but Sherry was a spiritual leader in the home. There was no question about that. She was growing much faster than me. And I used those excuses. Well, she's got better study habits than me and all that garbage I've already talked about, So, which was just an excuse. Um, and so I, uh, when, when, when Brooks, my, uh, one of my other sons, did not die and Sherry did not die, uh, the surgery went good and it was emergency C-section and everything was fine, um, I began to praise God because I knew he'd saved him, and I prayed that he would save him uh, alone at the hospital because we didn't expect what happened happened, you know, with Sherry and labor. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I heard very clearly on that day, what if they had died? God, I mean, in my spirit is clear. What if they had died? Would I be any less great? Are you praising me right now because I saved your wife and your son? Or are you praising me because I'm great? Are you praising me? Because, am I great because I did this? Or am I great because I'm God? Mm. And I thought, well, that's a good lesson. But in that moment, that was him warning me without me knowing, you better grow up spiritually because nine years from now and two sons later, we're going to be back at this. And I'm going to put you in a position to where Sherry can't spiritually lead it. You're going to have to. She's going to need you in a way that she doesn't right now. And you, you better be ready. 
because telling her about hunting and fishing and telling her about the football games and telling her about what you do at work is not going to be what she needs to hear. Mm. And I took that serious and I, and I began to grow and prepare. And if any of you out there have ever heard on audio and that's her own voice doing it, which is really moving or read her book, you know, that in chapter four, she said in that moment at children's hospital, holding the lifeless body, of our two-and-a-half-year-old son who had just died an earthly death, and they handed that body to her. As she rocked him and waited on me to get back from Tennessee where I was speaking, she said, my pastor tried to help me. Our friends tried to help me. Our family tried to help me, and they all they all knew the same thing I knew. They could not be my husband. Mm. So we waited on him because no one could replace him. And so what I would say to every man listening to this, you can't be replaced. So if you don't do it and you don't learn and you're not ready for moments like this, your wife and your family will suffer because nobody else can do it but you. Absolutely. And going forward from that event, you know, when – you you're stepping in you you you're you're leading your family that's the position you're in you're locked in you know we all come with obstacles you know a lot of guys unfortunately they don't they don't know they leave it at home and they don't take it to work they don't take it every day all day you know share some of your obstacles if you had any that you faced in your work life that were a direct result from your stance with for the kingdom well, it, it may be not exactly what you expect to hear, but but suffering is such a powerful tool that God has. I mean, you, you, Sherry talks about in her book, you can either run from him and be mad at him, or you can run to him and be completely refined by the suffering. Uh, see, what I, what I immediately knew was I was never mad at God, not even for a second, because I knew who he was. And if he never did another thing for me other than the cross, he's done more than I deserve. Mm, What I was angry about is that I was so sinful that I would need this in order to get where he wanted me to be. And I do get frustrated with people who claim this event changed their life and the way we responded. And then you look back and they've drifted back into carnality and all that again. But there's many people like myself and like my wife and, and like members of our family that truly have been completely changed by that moment. So the biggest obstacle for me was that I had to figure out how to balance the show and my life properly. And and it's not what you think. It wasn't that I need to be careful that I'm not feeding the spiritual side of my life because that became all that mattered to me. I mean, that was like saying that I'm going to find a way to live without oxygen. Yeah. The problem was it's trying to care about anything else so that, it could, so that it could properly be balanced because I have to earn the right being in secular entertainment. You know, we use the entertainment, we use the other discussions to earn the right to talk about you know, Christ and to talk about our faith. And we do talk about things to a biblical worldview. So the fact that I was going back to secular entertainment and I knew I had to walk that line of in the world but not of the world, if I talk about my faith for four hours every day, you know, now that becomes Christian radio versus Christians who do radio, which the latter has been the call on my life. Mm. You know, go to where the lost are. For some people, the show started out as the only church they ever knew. Uh, the Wednesday Bible study, I could tell you stories of how the entertainment part of the show has forced men into that Bible study, which then led them to Christ and plugged them into a church, even in Sydney, Australia, one of the guys. I mean, it's it's incredible. So the hardest part for me, and it still is today, Andy, honestly, I really don't have the desire for the secular parts of the show. And when I say secular, I just mean the non-spiritual mm-hmm. parts of the show. We try not to do anything that would dishonor God. Sometimes we don't accomplish that goal, and we repent of that and correct it. But I'm looking for those opportunities to talk about Jesus because the rest of the show, I'm really not that interested in. 
I have to pretend to be interested in it because, and then when I first came to Christ, I had to pretend to be interested in him while I really was more interested in the other. So he just completely transformed it. So really that became the hardest part is to, to care about things that I started thinking, well, that don't even matter. I mean, I I don't care if I ever went to another sporting event or a concert the rest of my life. I can honestly say that. Um, but yet you have to talk about sports on the show, which I'm really not interested in anymore uh, to any high degree. You know, talking about these, the politics and stuff, I really don't care about that anymore. Um, I do still enjoy telling a funny story and how life is because that is that is funny to me. But my work has become harder uh because uh, I really would prefer to just be talking about Jesus. Absolutely. Well, you know, you bring up the Wednesday Bible study, you know, and I, I listen to it. This is, I don't do music at the gym. I, I would rather listen to a podcast or an audio book or whatever. Yeah. Um, but y'all are actually the reason Luke and I kind of focused on, we're actually going through Romans. <clears throat> we're about 36 episodes deep and, we're only in chapter four, uh, so yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going verse right. by verse, so it could take a while, but yeah. you know, yeah, it will. talking about the Wednesday Bible study, you know, I, I look at comments and, and, and I just, we, I would love to hear your opinion. You know, there is a lot of people out there that throw a lot of hate out and especially in comments and, you know, and I know they, they probably nitpick and surgically in, you know, put incisions in every word that you say and, you know, sure. How do you deal with that, especially, you know, with how does that affect you spiritually and how do you overcome that spiritually? Well, as you can guess, most of the complaints do not come from the lost. Mm. Uh, it comes from those who claim to be redeemed, and it's all this denominational garbage. That's where most of the complaints come from for, for me. I don't know if that's the same for y'all, but uh, I, I've just gotten to the point where I just don't pay any attention to it. You know, Paul and Str- I used to, you know, would. I got to get in here and debate this. And Paul just said, Rick, don't engage in foolish arguments, <laughs> especially in front of the lost or the baby Christians. So I, I have, you know, I have people who say you'd be a real Christian if you just got election and predestiny right. You'd be a real Christian if you understood that we're only in the New Testament now and and baptism is part of people being redeemed, water baptism. Mm. Oh, you'd just be a Christian if you'd, if you'd be part of the Catholic Church. Uh, you'd really be a Christian, you know, if you were Pentecostal could speak in tongues. Mm. Uh, you'd really be, you know, all this stuff. You know, if you if you just had that, Rick, and they make you feel like that you're, you know, some secondary, second-class Christian. And I've just kind of learned to ignore all that because that's not what Scripture says. Um, I'm going I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, period. I'm one of his followers. Uh, I don't even identify as a Christian anymore. And if I do, I say a Bible believing Christian. There's 38,000 groups calling themselves Christians now yeah. all over the world. The word Christian really doesn't mean a whole lot now. So I try to clarify it's okay. I'm not against it. Don't misunderstand me, but I want people to know that I'm a Bible believing follower of Jesus Christ. Because that really sets the tone in the room. Uh, you know, if you say you're a Christian right now, the whole room might go, okay, good for you. But if you say you're a disciple of Jesus or a follower of Jesus, everybody goes, oh, wow. Well, you've kind of cleared that up, and um, and it makes people uncomfortable, which is not my goal, but, but it, it sure does give clarity to where I am. So most of that garbage comes from denominational stuff, uh, and I, I've gotten to where I have truly learned not to pay attention to it. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I I think of when I see comments like that or when I see people, you know, kind of lash out at at, you know, things like a Bible study or anything like that. I kind of think of, you know, Paul in Ephesus, you know, you got people selling, you know, little fertility goddesses, you know, like it's a baseball stadium souvenirs. And, you know, he's out there stirring up a hornet's nest for the one true king. And they're just getting mad and I can only imagine the the comments and the hate that was spewed towards the church at Ephesus and all that and not not to mention oh, yeah. the other ones so yeah and and as far as the lost in the world and all the movements and you know God has evolved on all these different things like marriage and all that and those people who get mad at you 
Jesus told us this was going to happen. I just go, well, look at you uh, fulfilling what Jesus said would happen. Mm. And uh, and I'll make it clear. I really do, especially when you get over to the the lost or those of them have left the Bible and said the Bible is not the word of God. When when I stand for God's standard, I make it very clear. And I've had to learn this through maturing and growing up a little bit spiritually is to make sure they understand I don't hate them. I'm just for God. Yeah. Yeah. It's not against them. You know, it, 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 I do find it interesting that sometimes people that uh, go out there and say all these things like we should all be allowed to be whatever we want to be, they leave out those of us that want to be devout followers of Jesus. We're not allowed to be who we want to be. Absolutely. And that's inconsistent. You know, so I make it clear if, if you applaud someone's convictions against God, how come we don't applaud somebody's convictions, convictions for God? Mm. And, uh, you know, everybody gets applauded for their principles unless you're a Christian a Bible-believing Christian and a follower of Jesus, then there's no applause for those principles. But I've learned to realize that's what Jesus said the world would be. So he said, look out for it. And when it happens, I go, yeah, Lord, that's what you told me. (laughs) And, uh, but, but it used to really bother me, but it really doesn't anymore because I've learned to just listen to him and he's who I answer to. Now, if somebody sends me a kind email reaching out to me in brotherly love or sisterly love, and say, I believe you were in error here. You might want to check that. And then if I go check it and go, you know what? You're right. I didn't really explain that correctly. I'm, I'm not against people holding me accountable if they have my best interest, but I'm not going to engage in foolish arguments to try to win an argument. Absolutely. So I, I, I don't want us to run out of time because I really want, you know, everybody to be able to understand what just happened what are we, we're in March now? What just happened like two weeks ago or a week and a half ago in Oxford. So y'all as yeah. man church had your first ever man church conference. And, and it, from the pictures, it looked absolutely just packed out and amazing. Yeah. You know, at first we weren't going to do that. We weren't going to really worry about conferences. And honestly, because there's some great conferences, I'm going to be at one this summer. Uh, but, Ours really wasn't a conference, but we didn't know what else to call it because we thought it might confuse people. It really was more like a convention or a summit. And let me explain what I mean by that. Because we're doing the discipleship strategy all over the country. Mm. Well, there's over 600 churches, as I mentioned, who are doing the strategy. Well, what this really was was a gathering of 120 of those churches that brought their men to hear from some of our teachers in one weekend, but also to hear new resources that we're developing or to look at the resources we've already got to network with other churches that are doing the strategy. So most of these men that came there were in the curriculums to some level, either first year, second year, and even some third year. And so and we even did a breakfast where the leaders got to network with each other, ask our team questions and pointers, Tell us what's working, what's not working. And I'm just going to tell you, uh, you you might have heard the show the day, uh, the Monday after. I was at at a loss for words. I I can't tell you. uh, God's moving in this country right now, and you're hearing about it different places. And I'm not the expert on, you know, what to be cautious of and what to embrace. All I can tell you is he's moving. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in that place with those 1,200 men was like something I have never experienced. Mm. Uh, I've experienced it in my personal life through the earthly death of my youngest son. That's as close to God as I've ever been in my life. But I've never been in a, in a worship setting with other people where the power of God was as strong as it was at that gathering of those men. And I finally decided to tell people, there were, there were people that couldn't come because they had legitimate things that could not get them there. There were people that waited too long and there weren't any seats left. But if you were a man and you knew about that and you just said, I'm not interested, you missed it. Mm. And, 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 I, and I can't put it into words. Even in this interview, I, I can't. There were 51 men that, that, that repented and said they wanted to follow Jesus. And here's what I speak about with nominal Christianity and cultural Christianity. One of the men that stood up in front of 1,200, well, 
1,199 people, uh, uh, 1,199, he would have been the 1,200, that, that he, he stood up and faced the rest of them. Oh, wow. To say he wanted to follow Jesus, do you know what was on his shirt? What's that? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. <laughs> and you know what he said in the counseling? It was just on my shirt. When I, when I heard the message of the standard of what it looked like to be transformed by Jesus, and I heard these men preaching all the scripture and what redemption looked like and what just you know justification looked like, what sanctification looked like, and I realized that the fruit that was flowing out of my life were not stumbles. The fruit flowing out of my life was deliberate, perpetual sin, yet I wore a shirt that claimed that Jesus was my Lord. Mm. And he said, and I assessed myself and thought that can't be true. So, see, in cultural Christianity or nominal Christianity, you can even wear a Jesus something on your shirt, but that don't mean that you've been redeemed. Absolutely. Is it in your heart? Mm-hmm. Has your heart been changed? And um, so it was, it exceeded our expectations. And, uh, and, and, we, it, and to me, it was more affirmation of God saying, I told y'all if you would do what I told you to do, that I'd move. And that's how we saw it. Well, I mean, I look forward to seeing, I mean, y'all are all over the place. I mean, I mean, you were just in Arkansas from what I saw on social media. Am I correct? Yeah. So, I mean, y'all are just bouncing everywhere. Yeah. We have a team of speakers and teachers that go out. Um, We, we, this was the the thing in Oxford was the first time we did a weekend, what someone would call a conference where it's a Friday night and half a day, Saturday. What happened in Arkansas and what happens all over the country are things called man churches, which means their services, and sometimes we have one speaker at the service, or we have two max, uh, but those are just one evening or one day, sometimes people do it as breakfasts, where the men gather and one of our teachers goes in and challenges them and then puts them back into uh, the curriculum. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're everywhere. I'm actually going to get an opportunity in April to go to Omaha, Nebraska, where there is a church and a group of churches that are doing our strategy with our curriculum. And the guy's like, is there any shot you could come up here and speak to these guys who only know you from the videos on the curriculum? And I said, man, that would be an honor. So I can't wait to do that. That's new ground. Go till some new ground. I, I hear there's a lot of corn out there. There is a lot. Of corn. <laughs> um, well, you know, and – you mentioned you've got the conference this summer, which is the Gridiron Men's Conference, which is in Al- yeah. in Alabama. That is a staple. That's the one. It is, you know, I mean, yeah. it, it is. Last year was Tebow, and you know that was the kind of the big name. I mean, you've got you, and you've got you know Phil Waldrop. Goodness gracious, just some of his books, and I mean, I've got a couple Phil Waldrop books, and I love them all. But you know, when Mike oh, yeah. Pen- when Mike Pence and David Jeremiah are showing up, I mean, that's yeah, that's large and in charge Rock. right there. Yeah, you got Robert Jeffress and uh, and, and you know, my, uh, Mike Winston. Um, so I'm excited about that. I mean, for me to be in the lineup with Pence, Robert Jeffress, and uh, David Jeremiah, and Phil Waldrop, I mean, I don't belong there. Uh, <laughs> so I'm I'm honored to to have that opportunity. I remember one year, Phil has always messed around with me a little bit. He had me follow Steve Farrar, who's now in glory. I miss him so much. And uh, Tony Evans. And I said, Phil, who in the world follows Steve Farrar and Tony Evans? And he looked at me and said, well, I'm certainly not going to do it. <laughs> and uh, and so I said, well, thank you for putting me there. Uh, but I'm honored to be there. This is a first-class conference, uh, kind of the granddaddy, as you said, of them all, especially down south. Uh, and it will be a first-class event coming up Father's Day weekend in Huntsville. So if you don't have tickets to that, I know they're still available, come join us. And usually in the lobby, you know, themanchurch.com, uh, we'll be there with resources and stuff as well. Uh, and uh, But uh, but I'm always – I've had the honor of speaking there, I think somewhere around six, seven times. I, I'm usually asked to come every other year. And, uh, and, and it is always a first-class event. Well, we had a, uh, had a group of our guys from our church – go last year and man it was just they came back just charged up ready to go they they said it was amazing um but they even said you know they said you know hey tebow and them did great but there was i mean some of the guys they'd never heard of just came out and brought thunder upon with them Um, oh yeah yeah 
yeah, I love Tim, but but and honestly, sometimes it's the and I'm using this word loosely. Celebrities sell tickets mm. to get men interested, but buddy, you'll come there and here's there'll be a guy walk out there you ain't never heard of, and he'll unpack the word of God before you know it. The Holy Spirit's all over you. <laughs> yeah. Um. So no. Um. So before you know, we kind of we kind of finish this thing out. Um. A couple little kind of you know things that kind of tick off is the revival conference at gridiron men's conference called revival is june 16th and 17th if you haven't got your tickets you can you can go to gridiron men's conference look up that website but you can go to probably the can they go to man church and look it up you know we do i'll tell you what right now you can get the link at uh, burgessministries.com uh, rickandbubba.com and probably you're right at the manchurch.com too because any any events we're having are under events at all three of those websites now the rick and bubba one's the only one that's exception it, it has to be somebody involved in the show being there this one would be there because i'm going to be there mm-hmm. but if you want to catch man churches all over the country and um, and any of that is the manchurch.com if you want to know where sherry is speaking or or we're speaking together or i'm speaking somewhere uh, that's at BurgessMinistries.com because Sherry does women's ministry. I do men's ministry and we both do marriage ministry together. Well, I, I will challenge the, you know, the listeners. If, if you, if you're a part of a church and you've got a men's ministry and you're looking for something to develop or curriculum, you cannot go wrong with the curriculum that man church has put out there to develop encourage and enable your men to step into the roles they're supposed to be there. Um, now I'll tell you this, if you go and I think I went to, I went to the manchurch.com and got the transformed, uh, devotional. So you can get all sorts of stuff on theirs. Um, and then you can, you know, probably go to Burgess ministries and get it, but iron Hill press, you can go there and they have a ton of stuff. Um, you know, one of the cool things about Iron Hill Press, and I'm, I'm sorry to, you know, plug this, but I did a 25-day devotional with my son on Christmas uh, that they had put out. And it was yeah. fun oh, to yeah. go through because it had activities, and, and, and it was – we may do it every year now just because it was so – it was so interactive. So, Oh, good. I'll pass that along to the team because Burgess Ministries and Iron Hill Press combine for themanchurch.com. Uh, obviously, I'm, I, I do the, the part of the curriculum. Uh, Andy Blanks, who's with Iron Hill Press, is part of the curriculum. He does the study guides with a group of 10 writers. And so they're the publisher of everything that we put out. They published Transformed, the new devotional. They published the 40-day devotional versions of our topics. They published the curriculum. Our first curriculum is called The Pursuit of Christ-Centered Masculinity. That's eight things that we find in the person of Christ showing us how to be men, five weeks on, on each one. The second one's Real Men of the Bible. These are eight flawed men, as you mentioned, that, that God uses, and the five weeks on each man. The third one is called Be Disciples. Uh, that is, what does it mean to be a disciple? So there's eight things that Scripture says should be found in the disciple, five weeks on each one. And then the new one coming out in April is called Impact, and it comes from Second Peter chapter one where peter is saying supplement these things to your faith so that you will be fruitful and you will not fail because you still live in a sinful world uh and then we do five weeks on each thing he said to supplement to your faith so that you'll have a fruitful impactful faith and so um those uh, those are all available and then as you mentioned we also have any resource we have third-party resources from other men that we trust um, all there at themanchurch.com. We want to be a hub for implementing men's ministry with high equipping, but in high challenge. Absolutely. And it's, it's a blessing just to see where it's, where y'all have gone and come from and, you know, just having communications with your team on y'all's growth and just hearing from, you know, I've got buddies all around, you know, the state that, you know, hey, yeah, we're doing that curriculum, and it's like, man, that's awesome. That is that is good stuff. Um, but you know, uh, you know, we're we're in the same pocket. We're in the same kind of. We're, we're running parallel with each other. Y'all are on a different. Sure. Y'all are about thirty thousand feet above us, but we're flying in the same parallel line. Uh, Amen. Yeah. But but you know, Thrive Ministries, the Thrive Ministry, what we do here is. The same thing as man church, just on a smaller scale. Um, 
we, we just want to encourage, we want to equip, we want to help you build a curriculum, whether if it's directing you, knowing what your guys are kind of looking at and directing you that way, but also promoting. So what we do at Thrive Ministry is we promote. If you have a men's event, we don't even got to be there. We'll crash it. We'll come and have some food and we'll have some fellowship and we'll worship with you, but we want to promote it. We want to make sure that maybe somebody that listens to this podcast he doesn't have a church and they go, man, they got a men's ministry right down the road. Let me go check that out. That's sure. not to get the numbers in your church that gets the numbers to the kingdom. Um, so that's what we want to do. That's what we, we strive to do. So, but the way we kind of, kind of finish up every show is mm-hmm. we present the gospel. Um, we want men Amen. to understand that there's not a right time. There's not a right place. It can be in your living room. It can be in your bedroom. It can be at the altar of a church. It can be anywhere. If the Holy Spirit's tugging, and, you know, as we said, as Luke and I have said, the invitation's there. The invitation was there when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. You just need to accept it. If you if your relationship is distant, if you're if you're not going the way you need to, if you just, you've, you've put down your Bible, you're 10 years, two years, six months outside of living, you know, your best life as a godly man. This is the time. If you don't know Christ, this is the time to step up and gain the relationship of a lifetime. That's going to get that. You're going to die to your old self and you're going to have eternal life. And guys, I can't think, uh, I can't, I can't say there's anything better that's happened to me in my life. Um, God redeemed me from a life of just alcohol and abusing and being just not a good father and not a good husband, not a good brother, not a good son, but guys, God redeems and he makes the best man out of us. And I can only, I can only just, I can't even, it's almost indescribable the feeling that God gives you when you give him everything. It's complete and utter surrender. And absolutely. And having Rick on here, having, you know, you know, to see he has seen men's lives change and it's not because of him. It's not because of man church. It's not because of, you know, Rick and Bubba. It's because of God. He's the only one that changes men. And so if you, if you feel like you need to talk to someone, if you feel like you need to, um, you know, chat or you feel like you just need a direction to go in it's easy. Just reach out to, you know, you probably can email Rick and he could probably help you with, you know, Rick, what, what's your email? If you want to give it out. Well, what I would say, yeah, I would say to any man out there that's listening right now, my, my email is Rick at Burgessministries.com. Just my last name, Rick at Burgessministries.com. And listen to what Andy's saying. I mean, I remember, when I got to the point that I was just like, Lord, I just don't want to be this man anymore. Um, I know that you love me because I did. I grew up knowing about the gospel. I know that you love me because I know about the cross. The problem is I've looked at my life and I see deliberate perpetual sin that is destroying my life. And I think this sin is still better than you because though you may love me, I don't love you. And I don't love you because I don't know you. And, and, and so just it, it, you don't have to have deep theology. I, ju- I just remember getting on my face in my old nasty house. I can still see that old nasty carpet. And I said, Lord, I just don't want to be this man anymore. And, and I've tried to change me, and I can't. Uh, this sin owns me. I love this sin more than I love you. Will you teach me to love you? And I said, so as best as I know how, I'm going to turn from my sin, the word is repent, and I want to leave my sin, and I want to give my life to you. I've tried to run my own life, and I have done nothing but mess it up. So I'm leaving my authority, and I'm placing myself under your authority. I know that you paid for my sin on the cross, and I ask, Lord, would you forgive me of my sin? I sincerely don't want to be this man anymore. And Lord, I I ask that you would save me. And and I believe in my heart that you are who you say you are. And I'm now confessing for all to hear out loud in this room that you are my Lord. And I'm leaving my own authority and I'm placing myself under your authority. I'm leaving faith in my abilities and I'm placing my faith in you. And scripture tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if we are sincere 
And only you know that, man, and only God knows that. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Amen. So Andy and I want to encourage you to do that. And if you need our help, you reach out to me, Rick, at BurgessMinistries.com, or to Andy. Andy, how can I get you? You can get me at Andy at TheThriveMinistry.com and, or Luke at TheThriveMinistry.com. We are all available. Um, we're going to close out in prayer um, like we always do, um, and then we'll close out the episode. It's just been extremely um, – it's been fulfilling just to have – you know, I, I love talking to Luke, and he's probably going to hear this, which is probably going to hurt his feelings. But I like talking to you too, Rick. So, <laughs> so thank you, buddy. Um, it's, it's been an honor to be here. Thank you both for trusting me. I don't take that lightly. Well, we we definitely we definitely we believe what you're doing. We we strongly encourage what you're doing, and we just we we are 100 percent on board. It's just our love of men and where we should be in this world today is. You know, we just, we, we, we're agreeing. We're in complete and a hundred percent agreeance. Um, but I'm gonna close this out in prayer and, uh, then we'll close out the episode, but God, just thank you so much for today. Thank you for this podcast. Thank you for this episode. Thank you for Rick. And thank you for everything that him and his team are doing for your kingdom. God, I pray that every man that they come across, if they don't know you, that God, that you would pierce their heart and you would just convict them to come to know you. Amen. I pray that you give Rick, you give that entire team, you give all the people that um, are have everything to do with, you know, the man church, with Burgess Ministries, with his wife, Sherry, with, um, you know, this Gridiron Men's Conference coming up in June. I pray that everybody that you put in, the, in those places, in those buildings, God, I pray yes. that you just hide everybody behind that cross and you show out. Um, if it's just one man coming to know you, that's a celebration. And God, I'm just so thankful for the opportunity to to glorify you in this platform that you've placed in front of us. And God, we I, I pray that you would encourage us, you would strengthen us, you would give them you would give us wisdom and knowledge and discernment to utilize it to you and you your your best, not our best, but your best. And God, I just thank you for everything that you're doing. I thank you for Rick. And God, I'm just uh, grateful beyond words right now. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Guys, I hope you'll have a great and wonderful night. I hope you have a great week. And like we say at the end of every episode, thrive on.